0: Thanks so much for listening to the Hague Mennonite Church podcast. For more information about us, you can go to our website haegmennonitechurch.ca. Until the next time. Well, good morning, church. Just got to say, wow, our worship team is such a blessing, aren't they? As Dawson would say, that was a banger. So So I'm actually I'm going to lead with a confession. Let's see how this goes. Sometimes, you know, I don't know, as a preacher, I don't know if Keith, you ever get this, or Mark, if you're watching, you walk away from the pulpit and you kind of feel a bit of a pit in your stomach. I I kind of feel like last week's sermon, when we first started talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that it didn't really cut it. And let me tell you what I mean. Because we're studying Pentecost, we're, we're studying the coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, and what I did last week is rather than focus on the Holy Spirit himself, I focused on the onlookers who were trying to explain the whole thing away. And while I think all of the things I said are true, I also think that because of that, the message was incomplete. Like, I don't need to just preach people's doubts, right? And if all I preach as a pastor is what not to do, then it starts to sound like it all depends on us. It's it's up to us to avoid the pitfalls and to do the good things. And if I do that... I start to edge dangerously close to preaching do better, right? Do better sermons are of no use to anyone. I absolutely hate them. Because what use, just imagine this, what use would it have been for somebody to go to the disciples between the Ascension and Pentecost while they're agonizing and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit and tell them, why don't you guys just do better? Because all of these good and magnificent things which are about to happen in the story, they don't come by their own strength. Everything that's about to happen comes by God's strength. So for the disciples, there is no do better. There's only follow Jesus. And all of us always follow Jesus in our weakness. So, or let me put it another way. There's no do better. The Spirit does the doing. Horrible grammar. And he the Spirit gives us the heart that we need in order to obey Jesus. That was something that we talked about a lot going through Matthew, because that was Jesus' point. He was convicting the crowds of the fact that they're not able to please God. What they need to please God is a new heart, and that comes from God. So, all that said, you know, obedience matters. Obedience matters big time but you won't follow Jesus faithfully on your own strength. We take every step of obedience that we're able to take, and we count on God to strengthen us for the journey. So, so if I preached a do, be, do Better sermon last week, I got really close, I think, and so I apologize. I don't want to do that. It bothers me. The good thing is we're actually going to have ample opportunity to continue learning about the Holy Spirit. So, so you know, the buck doesn't really stop there. We can keep going. We're in Acts chapter 2, and there's a question that's going to come up today that's worth keeping in the back of your mind. What does it mean to receive power from the Holy Spirit? Concretely, what does that look like? For now, Peter is about to teach on what it means to receive the Holy Spirit, and his pattern of teaching, I want you to notice, it's very Jesus 101. Just like in Jesus' ministry, there is an act of power... Jesus fed a crowd, Jesus healed people. In this case, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit and it's this preaching in tongues. And following the act of power, there's an explanation. And just like Jesus' ministry, when Jesus did this countless times, it is totally up to the crowd whether or not they're going to accept the sign and the teaching. It's a package deal. And many, many times, the crowd, in Jesus' case especially, would reject both. Let's get back to the text. We're in Acts 2, starting in verse 14. It reads, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. I was talking to Keith a little bit about this last week, and both of us kind of agreed that this is a great image, right? because this miracle has just occurred where the holy spirit is speaking through the 120 disciples it attracts this huge crowd and then peter gets up to speak and you just can't help but think after everything we've been through oh man what's he going to say right and because of what he's about to go to, going to say we're, we're going to realize something drastic has changed because up until now Peter has had this raging case of foot-in-mouth disease, right? Every time he opens his mouth, he he hasn't come off very well. Uh, Let's go through a few of his greatest hits. So this is just a few examples. Peter told Jesus that he would not be killed when he reached Jerusalem after Jesus started warning them. And what was Jesus' response to that? Anybody remember? Get behind me, Satan. Peter offered to make tents for Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, which makes me laugh every single time because it's ridiculous. um, Is it Luke? Luke says Peter didn't know what he was saying. I think it was Luke. Maybe it was Mark. Panic talking. Anybody do that sometimes? Maybe. Peter also denied Jesus three times. If you remember that whole episode in the courtyard of the high priest, people could even tell by his accent that he's a Galilean, and he kept saying, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And these examples, these are just the things he said. There's not to mention the walking on water incident that didn't go the way Peter wanted. There was him falling asleep in Gethsemane when he was supposed to wait with Jesus. And there's, of course, Peter acting out in violence when Jesus is going to be arrested and then subsequently abandoning him right away. So that's the Peter we know. That's the Peter we know up until this point. What in the world is he going to tell this crowd? What by Peter's own wisdom, knowledge, and strength does he have to say? Truth is nothing. Peter, by his own strength, he's got nothing. We know that. It's been proved over and over again. But Jesus made him the leader of the church. Jesus saw some potential. The Holy Spirit is on Peter. He doesn't need to worry about it. God's got this. And so when Luke writes that Peter lifted up his voice, it literally says he lifted up the voice of him. It's a little awkward in English. Peter doesn't actually do the lifting. It's a passive way of explaining it. It's actually the Holy Spirit which is lifting up Peter's voice. I think I went too far. No, it's all the same. Sorry. So what's coming out of Peter's mouth now, it's a two-part sermon. It's a quick sermon. First, Peter is going to explain part one of his sermon, no, we're not drunk. And second, he's going to make an apostolic proclamation of the gospel, which is a really important part of Acts. The apostles, they make these bold proclamations of the king. And it's kind of an interesting sermon outline. I mean, can you just imagine if I had to start a sermon proving that I'm not drunk? It would make for a really interesting Sunday. So it's a, it's a fairly curious sermon that's coming right away. This morning, we're actually, I didn't know how to divide it. We're just going to look at the first part of the sermon, and we're going to get this explanation of how they're not drunk, and then what is actually going on in the situation. It's worth a deep dive. Peter starts to address the crowd. He says, men of Judea. That was a common way of referring to both men and women. The masculine pronouns were gender inclusive. And it's interesting that he would say of Judea when we know that there's all these different nationalities in front of him. But remember, Judea is where we get the the title Jew. So when he says men of Judea," Judea, he's just basically saying fellow Jews when he's addressing the crowd. And do you notice that Peter has two statements here urging people to listen? Whenever the Bible does this, or whenever uh, Jesus says, if you have the ears to hear, it means it's time to pay attention. In this case, he says, I think I can see it on the screen, let this be known to you, so figure this out, and give ear to my words, and listen to me, because what's coming is important. And here it is. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So you remember the Jewish day, it starts at dawn, right? So the third hour of the day is around 9 a.m. Peter is saying, first, no, we're not drunk, it's only 9. And I have to wonder, by starting his sermon this way with everything that's coming, I have to wonder if he's making a joke, if he's trying to lighten up the crowd a little bit. Because it's, it's an interesting way to start, right? I like jokes in my sermons, so maybe I preach by the Peter model. Maybe that's what I'm doing. If, if anybody ever dislikes my joke, I'll say, Peter did it, you know. But as always with God's words, there's always a lot more going on behind the scenes. And when you look at it, this is actually one of three passages in the New Testament where being drunk is compared and contrasted with being moved by the Spirit. It happens three times in the New Testament. First time, early in Luke's Gospel, the angel of the Lord tells Zechariah that his son, John the Baptist, must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And then later in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, contrasted, be filled with the Spirit. So there's this tension in the Scriptures between being drunk and the Holy Spirit. And this is because both cases are about control. One way to look at it is drinking and the Holy Spirit can both make a scene. Both can drive people out to act out boldly, right? Both can represent, in some ways, a loss of control. But losing control because of alcohol is sinful. As Paul says, it's debauchery. It leads to no good. Losing control because of the presence of God is a holy thing. And a holy thing can only lead to good. It's both a comparison and a contrast. So when the world looks on us as Christians, if we're acting out because we're drinking, we're fools and we undermine the integrity of the gospel. Just like that crowd looking on Peter and the disciples that day, thinking these are a bunch of drunk fools on the holiday. But if we're acting out because God's spirit gives us the courage to glorify him, God can use that to change lives. Do you see how the two don't mix? If we one can compromise the other, right? For an outsider who does not know who the Holy Spirit is, it can get really confusing. They don't understand what's going on with the church. But we, as Christians, we need to keep it absolutely clear. We act on the power of the Spirit. We do not give up our control to the power of drugs and alcohol. It's it's non-debatable. And Peter doesn't leave it just there. He goes on to explain to the crowd what's actually happening in this situation. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The, by this he's saying, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's just telling us this is exactly what Joel promised. So this takes a little background work. Who was Joel? What's Joel is he talking about? Well, Joel was one of the Old Testament prophets. And Joel is interesting because we actually have no idea when he was writing. Most of the prophets, we can kind of place them by the context. With Joel, we don't have a clue. But some scholars think it must have been after the exile because of some of the things he refers to. The cool thing about Joel is that Joel is a prophet who spent a lot of time reading the scriptures. He quotes from other prophets Nonstop. I mean, one person noticed that Joel describes Israel sinning, but never says what sins they were, because Joel assumes you've been reading Jeremiah. Joel assumes you've got the background already. So Joel is a prophet who knows his Bible inside and out. It's kind of cool. Artur is preaching a sermon on Joel right now at Markham Church, so you can go and check that out Joel reflects on the promises of the other prophets, and then he synthesizes them to provide hope for the future. He's he's collecting God's promises from the Torah, from the other prophets, and he's saying, here's a list of the promises that we can expect from God. The Holy Spirit now, through Peter, there's a lot of speakers here, is quoting Joel because they see that this promise has been fulfilled. And... Where Peter goes is Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 28. We'll look at it as it is in Acts. Here's what Peter tells the crowd. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall Shall dream dreams. In the last days, God promises to pour out His Spirit. And it's pretty clear by the way Peter's using this passage, by His reckoning, the last days have begun for Him. The last days are then, the last days are now. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter, that Jesus' manifestation in the world marked the beginning of the last days. Christmas was the beginning of the end. The last days began with the very first advent, and they will conclude with the second advent, with the second coming. So we are living in the last days by the biblical definition we are waiting on the return of the Lord when everything is brought to completion. And here's the promise. In these last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. The language of pouring here is actually quite strong language. It should make, make it, it's not pouring from a jug or something like that. You should be thinking of a torrential rain. This is an abundance God rains down His Spirit on all flesh, all nations. It's overwhelming. It's unrelenting. He doesn't stop. And all of this is proved in the fact that as soon as the Spirit is poured out, the Spirit starts to cry out in all of these different languages, like we covered last week, right? All nations have access to this Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Prior to Pentecost... The Holy Spirit was for a few special people, usually from one special nation, always for a special enablement. Until this point, the Holy Spirit was always so that God's servants, we see it all through the Old Testament, so that they would be equipped for a specific task. Moses had the Spirit of God on him to enable him as a leader, but we talked about it last time. When he appointed 70 elders, God took some of the Spirit that was on Moses and gave it to the 70 elders so that they would also be empowered as leaders. John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit on him from the womb because he was the forerunner. He had a special purpose, a special goal. But now it's all changed. Now at Pentecost, it's for everyone, all who call on the name of the Lord. God is not going to hold back. The floodgates are are open. The new era has begun. And do you remember this? We talked about it last week. This is Moses' dream come true. He said, would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And here we are. It's Moses' dream come true. The kingdom is here the spirit is for everyone who calls out to the Lord. And as we get into this themes like this you might find it a little surprising but let's just take God at his word. I'm going to take these promises as they're presented. I don't want to explain them away. And Peter continues to quote Joel and he's going to he's going to ask or explore the question what will it look like when the holy spirit is poured out on all flesh? This is beautiful. Verses 17 and 18. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. This is what it looks like. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They will speak messages from God They will do this through the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what's happening at Pentecost. There are 120 prophesying in tongues, men and women. But it's more than that. Young men will see visions from God. Old men will dream dreams from God. God is going to be revealing things to his people. When it says servants, it doesn't mean servants of God. It means slaves. Our transla- translations often like to soften the language. Slaves will prophesy. You see what God is saying. The Spirit is truly for everybody men and women, young and old, rich and poor, slaves and free by their own categories. The empowering of the Spirit is not just for pastors and Christian celebrities and wise, old, powerful men, it's for everybody. It is for you. So if you're not getting freaked out yet, there's a little bit more. God is going to pour out his spirit on us. And with this empowering of the spirit, he's going to work some signs. Verse 19. God says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So God is now talking about what He is going to do in the last days. And so He gives us a number of signs. The first sign is blood. Now, blood, especially in the Old Testament scriptures, is often connected with judgment. I think when we see blood come up like this as a sign, we're supposed to think judgment. But think about this. The disciples have just experienced a very powerful sign of blood. Any guesses what I'm talking about? The crucifixion. Communion as well, right? God did provide a sign of blood in the last days. He provided a sign of blood at the cross. Remember, Peter says the last days started at Jesus' birth. And a sign of blood, is what better sign of blood is there than at the cross? It was a sign of judgment, but it was a sign of judgment that everybody was saved from. We are saved by it. Jesus tells the disciples at Passover that the wine symbolizes his blood poured out not for judgment, but for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus has taken this symbol of judgment and transformed it into a symbol of forgiveness as he suffers judgment. Every time we take communion together, like we're going to take communion this morning, we are doing what Paul said. Paul said we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming that Jesus died in judgment to save us from judgment and that he will come again as a perfect judge. Communion is a sign of blood. So I want you to see this. I, I can't even fully explain it, but the script, God's word, the scriptures, it has an incredible way of looking backward and forward at the same time. The sign of blood was at the cross. The sign of blood is today in our communion. And the sign of blood is coming again when Jesus returns to judge the world. It's an ongoing sign in the last days. What about a sign of fire? Where have we seen a sign of fire in the last days? Any guesses? Yeah, the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost... Or as John described it, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we've seen that sign fulfilled as well. And I I tried to think about the vapor of smoke thing. I didn't come up with anything. If anybody has any great ideas, you can feel free to volunteer them. But I'm not going to pretend to know what I don't. I don't know what that means. But here's another one. What about the sun turning to darkness? Where have we seen that? The eclipse at the crucifixion. If you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, the sun went dark from noon to 3 p.m., when it's supposed to be at its height. The whole whole area, the whole land went dark. Joel says in chapter 3 of his book that on the day of the Lord, the sun will be blotted out once again. So again, the scriptures are looking at the crucifixion and looking forward to his second coming, when again, there will be darkness. And then there's the moon to blood. Some scholars actually believe that at Jesus' crucifixion, following the darkness, the moon was turned to red. But we can't really know that for certain. The point of this is that all of this happens before the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is something that comes up a lot in the Old Testament scriptures. The day of the Lord means the culmination of the last days. It's the end of the chapter on the last days. And as Christians, we know that this means when Jesus returns. The day of the Lord is the end. It is the judgment. Or if you look at it a different way, it's the beginning. Right? All of these things, they can be hard for us to wrap our minds around, but I want you to see the depth of what is happening here. these The signs... Signs which came at the cross, they also reach forward to the day of the Lord, to Jesus' second coming. And then, whether we know it or not, when we take communion, we are celebrating these signs. We are proclaiming his death until he comes. Smarter people than me say that there are paradoxes in the cross. Paradoxes are two true statements that contradict each other. And paradoxes can be beautiful. And so in the cross, we find that judgment and forgiveness are the same thing. They are the same thing. We are forgiven at the moment of our judgment at the cross. So now we've got to connect the two. How is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all this last day stuff in the signs, how are they connected? Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit and the last days are connected, beca- are connected because until the day of the Lord, all who call out to Jesus will be saved. As God just promised, he will give his spirit freely to anyone who calls out to him while there is still time. And so what Peter has here is urgency. We are in the last days. God's spirit is given freely to anyone who seeks him. The Lord will return one day, and for those who have delayed, it will be too late. But until then, God is gathering this magnificent harvest. By his grace, he continues to call people. He continues to call all nations to Jesus to give us his presence, to give us his Holy Spirit. So to sum up Peter's sermon so far, we're not drunk. You've just seen God's promises in the book of Joel fulfilled. That's what he said so far. And actually, in all of this, there's quite a bit to chew on. Now, this part is really important. So, to quote Peter, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Please listen up. There is a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then these acts, these specific acts of the Holy Spirit. They're different things. I'm go- I call it empowering, Right? Peter received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as the scriptures teach us, the Holy Spirit will dwell in him. The Holy Spirit will make its temple in him for the rest of his life. But right now in our text, the Holy Spirit has taken over and is speaking the words of God through Peter like a prophet, just as he did through the prophet Joel. The Spirit living in humans permanently is a new thing. God's permanent residence in our hearts gives us new hearts. And as of this Pentecost, which which the disciples are celebrating, it's it's brand new. This This is the greatest news. But that occasional, that specific empowering of the Spirit, like we see in the Old Testament, it still continues to this day. So I hope that makes sense. The Holy Spirit is in all believers and that same Spirit still occasionally empowers specific people for specific tasks. It won't be like that all the time. The Spirit comes and goes like the wind. We don't control it. We don't boss it around. But for Peter, that empowering is going to happen again and again and again. And I bring this up because In my time as a pastor, both here and in Glenbush, people have come to me because he or she has had a really powerful experience with the Holy Spirit, and then he or she had to wake up the next morning, right? And they woke up and realized it's not the same. And when people have come to me with this, talked to me about this, they have wondered if somehow they've lost the Spirit, if they did something wrong. The Holy Spirit was with me one second, something great happened, and now it's not like that anymore. They were empowered, and then suddenly, they weren't. And so often, when people have this experience, they feel like they've done something wrong. And maybe you've been there, because I was certainly there. When the Spirit came to me when I was a teenager, I felt totally changed. I felt like a million bucks. I was so joyful, I was absolutely ecstatic. And then the next morning, I woke up and I was chat again. You know what I mean? Did I do something wrong? Was I disobedient somehow that suddenly the Spirit left me? No. It is a plot of the enemy to try to convince us Christians that we have lost the Spirit or that we've never received the Spirit in the first place. Because remember what we just read. Is the Spirit just for special people? No. Is it just for special times? Is God holding back? Is he stingy with who he gives the Holy Spirit to? Not at all. The Spirit is for all who call on the name of Jesus. And Scripture is perfectly clear about this repeatedly. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. I was going to quote a bazillion Scriptures, but then my sermon got really long, so you you can go and look them up if you like. (laughs) There's no debate, so do not be afraid. If you doubt that you have the Spirit, but you love Jesus, it's a lie, it's a trick. You have the Spirit, because it's not up to you. God has poured out his Spirit like a torrent. He has not held back on anyone who is called out to him. So maybe that's helpful for you, or maybe someday it's going to be helpful for you, but I just ask you, don't forget that, because people get so twisted up in knots about that that struggle. So let's take a step back, let's go over this again. We've covered a lot of stuff. At Pentecost, God poured out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. He made it available to anyone who would seek him. And the prophet Joel teaches us some of the things that happen to spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals to us God's direction and plans, and he does that through visions and through dreams. The Holy Spirit also leads us to declare messages from God, leads us to prophesy. And as we saw, the Spirit will also lead us to speak with tongues, whether that be for specific equipping or for self-edification, which requires interpretation. Paul teaches about that later in the Scriptures. But the point is, all of this, both the indwelling and the empowering, is for everyone who calls on the Lord. What does this mean for us? First, we see that God does not discriminate when it comes to the power of the Spirit. The old are not more connected to God's Spirit than the young. Men are not more connected to God's Spirit than women are. The Holy Spirit is for a bishop of 30 years, a venerable man, as much as the Spirit is for a teenage girl who came to faith yesterday. It is the same Spirit, It is the same empowering, the same indwelling. The Spirit can and will be used by those who follow Jesus or will use anyone who follows Jesus. I'll give you an example. Sometime last year, I don't know if Davy had even turned three yet. I think he was three. He actually turns four today, which is really cool. Uh, We were on our way to some family event. And I have this thing. You can ask Rachel about it. Maybe don't ask Rachel about it. I really, really struggle with anxiety, especially in groups, which makes it weird that I'm up here right now. I mean, give the credit to God. Especially around family events. I just go crazy. And on this particular day, I started to lose it. And Rachel and Micaiah, they were already in the car. Uh, Davy and I were in the porch. And I slammed the closet, and I was getting so mad, I was losing control. I wasn't doing well. And suddenly, Davey stops, his shoulders are square to me, he looks me straight in the eye, and he says, Daddy, Jesus will help you. And I froze. (laughs) And it gave me chills. And eventually, we were out the door. And I'm sure in two minutes, again, he was talking about Pokemon, or he was talking about Paw Patrol, but I have no doubt what was going on, because if you know Dave, he does not say stuff like that. The Spirit in him, because of his childlike faith, was speaking to me. And if this was a message from God, and I have no doubt that it was, how could it be anything else? My son in that moment was prophesying to me. David, you know, David doesn't know a lot about the Bible. We're trying. (laughs) He has no theological understanding whatsoever. He only turned four today. And that same Spirit is in him with exactly the same power. We have different callings. We have different gifts. We have different levels of maturity. But we are all filled and empowered by the same Spirit. And I think when we unpack that, it's pretty clear. We can rest assured that we have the Spirit with us. And as the church, we ought to seek the Spirit's empowering we should pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for specific tasks and let the Spirit do as he will. As I preached last week, we need to be willing to give the Spirit control and to not be afraid. Fear is a major barrier. We get this, you know. Like, who wouldn't love to stand before this crowd of thousands, as Peter is right now? Who wouldn't love to do something like that for God? For all of us here, that thought is either really, really exciting or it is absolutely horrifying, right? But do we understand that just minutes earlier, Peter was never capable of doing something like this? We don't need to be afraid. God is going to use us to do what is right. As a pastor, I hear a lot about people's private spiritual lives. I mean, it comes with the territory. And for you, you may think that everything I'm talking about today is kind of strange or it might be kind of a world away, but people in our congregation, for example, are dreaming dreams from God. Someone contacted me last week that they had received a dream from God. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit hasn't stopped. So do not be afraid. He is leading us somewhere. And can you imagine what it would look like for Hagman and I church to prophesy, to praise God to this community in exactly the way this community needs to hear his praises? And what more could we want than that? There is a way to be bolder. There is a way to be clearer. There is a way to be more effective, to be braver. And the beautiful truth is, it doesn't require more of you. It requires less of you and more of him. So, to my mind, from my perspective, standing up here from the pulpit, the Spirit is doing mighty things, and for now it's all below the surface. He's putting all the pieces into place for something good. And so, God, use us to reach the lost. All of this before the day of the Lord comes. We need to be equipped, and we need to be empowered because the days are numbered. When the day of the Lord comes, there will be no more excuses, there will be no more delays, there will be no more mocking crowds, there will be no more naysayers. On that day, each one of us will either have embraced King Jesus and everything he's given us, or refused him. And there is nothing left for either camp but the consequences. There is only one way to be saved, and that is to call out to the Lord. So that's why you're sitting here. That's why you're watching online in your living room. That's why there's so much urgency in our passage, because the last days have come. There are people all around us who are utterly desperate to meet the Lord, and most of them have no idea. And it doesn't take us being braver, it takes us being smaller and more of the Holy Spirit. And so like those tongues on Pentecost, we need to trust God to show us how to share the promise with all who are ready to accept it. Okay, so I'm feeling better because this was not a do-better sermon. I feel like, it's gone, it's gone. (laughs) We can all go out, and we can do as much as we want, but the Spirit of God will do so much more than we are able. So do not be afraid. As Peter taught us, from the crucifixion until the day of the Lord, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim that the innocent man who was condemned will become the righteous judge. And communion, the cup, is our monthly reminder. We wait on our good and our loving King. Thanks for joining the Hague Mennonite Church podcast. We are a small and friendly congregation in Hague, Saskatchewan. Here you will find our weekly messages and we hope you will be encouraged and blessed. Let's get it started.